Today's reading is taken from Old Testament, Book of Genesis, chapter 9, verses 8 to 17. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons. I am setting up my covenant with you, including your children who will come after you. Along with everyone alive around you, birds, farm animals, wild animals that came out of the ship with you. I am setting up my covenant with you that never again will everything living be destroyed by flood waters. No, never again will a flood destroy the earth. God continued, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and everything living around you and everyone living after you. I am putting my rainbow in the clouds, a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. From now on, when I form a cloud over the earth and the rainbow appears in the cloud, I'll remember my covenant between me and you and everything living that never again will floodwaters destroy all life. When the rainbow appears in the cloud, I'll see it and remember the eternal covenant between God and everything living, every last living creature on earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'll set up between me and everything living on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know you know everything, but I can't hold on to what's breaking within. My hands hold regrets and my mind continues to replay the pain I've caused. I confess that I have been a mess. Forgive me for I have been far from who you created me to be. It is with my thoughts and my words and my actions that I have misrepresented grace and I have turned my back on love. Wash me white. Let it be love that brings me through this night. Through it all, the walk and the fall have mercy on me. Forgive me. Change me. Lead me. I'll keep close the peace you promise and leave far behind the fear you called us from. Help me let go of what's keeping me from you. Help me let you take away what's keeping me from you. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. Change me. Lead me. The New Testament reading, the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. As he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, 
and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them any more, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Thanks be to God. Hello, it's good to be with you today. and Thank you for this opportunity to share something of the gospel with you from God's word, and particularly from Mark's gospel. My text for this message is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. And I'm going out of sequence in this series from Mark's gospel. But I want to look at the transfiguration of Jesus now rather than later. So that's our title for this message, Transfigured. I wonder how things are for you as a Christian in your discipleship every day. How are things for your discipleship together with other people in your groups, your church congregation and your wider community that you are associated with? Perhaps like many today, it's really hard graft, isn't it? As we're taking each day as it comes and can't really plan for the future as yet. I expect every one of us at times sense a need for confirmation in our lives. In the midst of the daily challenges to know that we can have hope in Christ. Now it's been a very busy time for me as after many months of waiting I've finally made our house move to London. It's been exhausting to tell you the truth. But I know that God's grace is there for me and that I hope there will be confirmation along the way about this new calling and ministry. There are other ways in which we seek confirmation. Maybe we find ourselves grappling with deep or hard truths about life and faith and what it means to follow Jesus in our time and our place. We perhaps echo out loud or in our hearts the words of a man that we will encounter later in this very chapter. I do believe, help my unbelief. I don't think it's healthy to constantly seek signs of confirmation about God's character and activity. We have God's word to help us there. We have that revelation. But right now, I want to say that you shouldn't feel guilty about appropriately seeking a fresh revelation. This is perfectly normal. And I do hope that the account of the transfiguration of Jesus will do just that for you. What is transfiguration? Well, a revelation of the glory of the Son of God, a glory now hidden but one day fully revealed. The purpose of it seems primarily directed towards the disciples. It was before them, verse 2. Um, it enveloped them, verse 4. And verse 7, the voice speaks to them. So in a nutshell, Mark chapter 8 is that call to discipleship, life and death, the way of the cross. And then in chapter 9, we have the cross confirmed as the way of Jesus, as Jesus is transfigured in this second 
sort of apocalyptic revealing moment after the baptism of Jesus the first. There is confirmation of difficult teaching that Jesus has shared with his disciples. You can read about that in chapter 8, verses 31 to 38, about his suffering and death. And six further days has elapsed since this teaching. And this seems to be specifically mentioned to link this event with what Jesus has been saying to them a few days before. It's connected with what's gone before, rather than, as some have tried to argue, looking forward to some kind of mythical resurrection to lay the foundations for that. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him, it says in verse 7. A direct order to Peter, James and John and others to heed the discourse, to heed what Jesus has been saying to them at Caesarea Philippi. We know, don't we, that we've got this inner circle of three disciples. They were also present at the raising of Jairus' daughter. They're with Jesus at Gethsemane. Uh, the other details are somewhat vague. The mountain isn't identified. Its height and proximity to Caesarea Philippi may suggest Mount Hermon rather than Mount Tabor. But I find it helpful to find out that the word um, metamorpho is used here to mean change into one into another form. It's only used here and in the parallel passage in Matthew 17, but also you find it in Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 3, where the believer is described as changing to be more like Christ, to be transfigured, to be more Christ-like. Friends, can it be that you and I can be caught up and changed, transfigured. Hold that thought for a moment. In verse 3, we don't know exactly what happens. It's described as dazzling white, whiter than the world could bleach, whiter than white itself. It's, um, Jesus' human appearance seems to change as they glimpse something of this glorious, glorious heavenly um, vision of him in a transfigured world. Now that's got me thinking really. Is Jesus being transfigured? Or is the world being transfigured? Or are the three disciples being transfigured to see Jesus as he really is? How does that relate to our discipleship? Well, surely it encourages us with this truth that we can live every day the life of Jesus, to walk in his way, to provide that daily evidence of who Jesus really is. Who's transfigured here? Clearly Jesus, but the disciples as well. And yes, us in our time and place, I hope. Let's read on verse four, isn't it? We, there's this vision of Elijah and Moses and we wonder what's going on here. This glimpse of Jesus's final glory and these two characters seem to accompany the end in some way. Also perhaps represent something of the law and the prophets that are fulfilled in Jesus. If you're a bit cheeky, you probably have the thought, well, how did they recognise them as Elijah and Moses? 
it's not said that there's something going on there about the mysterious endings to the two uh, people's lives and this mysterious reappearance. Verse 5, Peter, impulsive as ever, says that it's good for us to be here. Have you ever said that? You've got into a really good situation, a really good um, encounter in some way. It's good to be here. It's a moving experience. And, I want, and he wants to linger and to build these shelters. And you know, don't we often erect new tents of meeting and worship in our own lives? And very soon they become institutionalized. And that radical edge of our calling as Christian disciples can be blunted somewhat. Maybe in these strange and difficult times, these, all these things are being shaken in our day. Here in this event, in this transfiguration event, there's actually no time to rest. There are things to be done. There's a mission and ministry campaign to be engaged in. And so too in our day, in so many ways. That Sabbath rest, however, is never going to be truly fulfilled until the death and resurrection of Jesus. Peter seems to be stumbling at this concept of the suffering Jesus. And let's remind ourselves again that if you feel like you're quite a weak and failing disciple, then Mark's Gospel is for you time and time and time again. Here in verse 6, Peter's inept remark, it seems to be excused. He's frightened. What about you? Do you find yourself stumbling and frightened in some way? Or like Peter, you and I perhaps misconstrue what is happening around us. What? Isn't it so wonderful that the voice does not condemn Peter? It doesn't offer anything new, fresh teaching. The voice just restates the testimony of Jesus' baptism. And listen to him, the voice says. The word has been delivered in Jesus' teaching about the cross. The mission of Jesus is to be executed. It's reconfirmed here in this event. Now, as I said at the beginning, isn't God gracious to give us those moments of confirmation? And it seems to me that's exactly what is going on here. How do you see confirmation in your life? Often we describe it in terms of provision or being helped in some way or being saved from something or our life being, lives being made easier in some way. And we see that as a sign of God's faithfulness, grace and provision. But how often do we speak of confirmation in terms of the cross? And suffering. That's what's going on here. We have this cloud as the vehicle of God's presence. At the baptism of Jesus, that voice spoke to him. Here, it's the disciples that are instructed that although he might be rejected, although he would even be put to death, he was accepted and loved by God. 
Friends, do you need to know that today? About your walk with Jesus as your friend and saviour? Listen to him, the voice says. This is so important, for, I think, for the life of discipleship. Listening is wrapped up with obedience for anyone who seeks to be a disciple of Jesus. How are you finding time to listen to God and to perhaps log or write down or take notes of what you may be hearing in some way so that you can test it out and so that you can apply it, perhaps in a journal or any other way. To get another angle on this, it was John Calvin, I think, who put this well by saying this. When God enjoins us to hear Jesus, he appoints him to be the supreme and only teacher of his church. See, friends, as the church today, we've got so much to learn from lots of good theory and stuff that's being spoken and shared in our times. We are awash with information and resources of all kinds. But you know, here's the thing. When the rubber hits the road, we are Jesus people, aren't we? And as if to reinforce this truth, the vision of Moses and Elijah fades suddenly and they're left with only Jesus. When things are tough and everything else is stripped away, Jesus remains. We call back as disciples time and time again to this truth. And so our passage ends in verse 9. They're given a, a warning, asked to keep their experience quiet until after the resurrection, to get things in the right order, to keep them going when things are going to get tough. It's a fourfold warning, isn't it? Don't say what you've seen until Jesus rises from the dead. Hold fast to the word and discuss amongst yourselves what rising from the dead means. That's what the implications of what they were asked to do. That makes me think, and maybe you too, what keeps you going? What's the basis for your Christian discipleship? To proclaim the glory of Jesus before the cross would be again, as was challenged earlier in Mark's Gospel, some sort of popular miracle offering messiahship. Not the saviour, the crucified saviour of whom they were to be disciples of the cross. So when they're told not to speak about it, it's not some sort of code or messianic secret or secret society. It's just about getting into perspective what kind of Messiah Jesus is. And we're discovering that time and time again through these chapters of Mark. The Saviour Jesus and what he is like. And that forms the basis of our own discipleship. And so to end, thank you for this opportunity to share this message with you. In a time today when our faith is severely tested and the future of the institutional church is under great strain, we need to be transfigured, don't we? We need to have that vision of who Jesus truly is in our tough times. 
so that we can hold fast and listen to Jesus. My prayer for you right now is that you will do just that, my sisters and brothers in Christ. Before we close, three short questions that you might like to consider on your own or in a small group, however you wish. Firstly, what moments of confirmation of God's ways have you experienced in your life? Do you ever, and secondly, do you ever feel that it's possible to hold back on the whole gospel? And thirdly, for you, what are the situations where you need to get on with obedient action as a disciple rather than build shelters of rest? So finally, I'd like to end with a prayer. Prayer of St. Patrick. Let us pray. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ where I arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Christ. May your salvation, Lord, be ever with us. Amen. So thank you. And may God bless you.